Hello and welcome to another episode of Running the Race podcast. RTR is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana. We strive to provide a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, fbcg.net. There you can access more episodes of the podcast, view or listen to sermons and services, or use some other great resources that we make available at the site. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of FBCG, and our Associate Pastor, yours truly. In today's episode, we continue discussing Pastor Jim's book, Life on the Altar, The Life We Are Called to Live. We're now in part three of the book, Presenting Ourselves to God for Supernatural Living. Jim and I discuss living a life that's pleasing to God, how to respond to pain and suffering in life, how to deal with our enemies, and how believers should live in and interact with a canceled culture. Hello, this is Jared Lamberth here with Jim Law. And today's our third Running the Race podcast, which is a four-part series previewing Jim's new book, Life on the Altar, which is released February 1st on Amazon and in paperback and Kindle. And it's also available at Barnes & Noble website as well. We're really grateful for endorsements by Donald Whitney and Jim Shaddix, John Avant, Steve Canfield with Life Action and today we're going to preview part three of the book, which speaks to presenting ourselves to God for supernatural living and uh, just you know being a part of the process of the book and um, reviewing and working through things with you, Jim, on it. Um, one of the things that I thought was really effective and, and, and kind of special were um, the altar moments sections at the end of each at the end of each chapter. So tell us a little about those. Right. I, I wanted to have a a time for the reader or maybe even small groups uh, who would want to use the book uh, for study um, would have uh, some questions to reflect on the content of the chapter. Uh, we are going to expand that. Uh, we have um, a study guide in the works right now that we're hoping will be done by June. And uh, that in this material from Romans 12 would be used in, in small group study. So take us into part three of Life on the Altar. You know, we've emphasized the themes of Romans 12 drive the conversation of, of the book. Mm. And we've looked in part one at living sacrifices, which focuses on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then body life, where Paul moves towards our need for one another. Right. And he talks about uh, spiritual gifts and the importance of every Christian being united and connected with a local church. Uh, part three is uh, four chapters, and it and it deals on additional themes that we find in verses nine through twenty one, and that is presenting ourselves to God for super what I'm calling supernatural living. And the first uh, topic uh, that that emerges is really just living for God's approval, mm -hmm. all the way through. That's the that's the focus. In light of the gospel, we have we've got a calling on our life. We're not our own. And that we're to honor our king. Yeah. Um, in the last days of Mark Twain, he wrote uh, in a letter to a friend, you go to heaven if you want to. I'd rather stay here in Bermuda. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I think a lot of people um, kind of think that way when they think of spiritual things. Sure. I saw a bumper sticker yesterday at the car wash that said, drive carefully. There is no heaven. Be blessed. Yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Bermuda may be enjoyable for a moment, uh, the reality is, is that a person can't stay in Bermuda or anywhere else on this dying planet. And so the offerings of this world are certainly alluring. You know, it was no small temptation when Satan came to Jesus 
and uh, tempted him, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and pledged mm-hmm. to give them if Christ would bow down and worship him. Mm-hmm. And Satan, uh, Jesus's response to Satan was, be gone, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. And so this is life on the altar. In light yeah. of the gospel, we come to know God in a saving relationship and we live for him. When you look at the teachings of Jesus and the call of discipleship, it's nothing short of radical. I think of Luke 9, where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, to die daily, and follow me. And so after reading passages like this, we understand why Bermuda looks so good. These are things that we need to think about when when we think of the Christian life. Luke and Mark, uh, Matthew, contain the story of the rich young ruler, and he walked away from Christ sorrowful. Right. And Jesus put his finger on that man's sin, namely he loved his money and stuff. So we're called to live for another king and to live for God's approval. Romans 9 through 21 kind of, excuse me, sets our course to pursue character qualities that are pleasing to God. I see a real parallel, Jared, in Romans 12, 9 through 21, and the Sermon on the Mount, Mm. the Beatitudes. Um, We're to pursue love and we're to hate evil. We're to outdo one another in showing honor. In chapter 8, body life, we emphasize the one another commands in the New Testament. There are over 30 of them. And a third of them are in Romans 12 through 16, where Paul, which I, which I find, you know, power, powerful. Such a connection. Yeah, yeah, a connection there. And here, outdoing one another and showing honor, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Um, we're to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. We're to be peacemakers. Mm. And so we're to live with the idea that we're to please God in all the relationships and trials and challenges of life. Which is really a contrast to the culture that we live in mm. today, which is you know cutthroat and one-upmanship. Uh, where our culture is wired for retaliation. I mean, isn't it almost daily we see in some form on social media or in, in the mainstream news just some public riot? You know, I, I, I saw one last week where they ran out of stake at, at a Golden Corral in Pennsylvania, and it led to a, a full-blown riot. Uh, they're throwing high chairs and all of this is This is on a weekly basis, Jared. This isn't an isolated event. Yeah. It's, um, we live in a world that is in chaos, and we're called to be peacemakers, bridge builders, to live in harmony with one another, repaying, never repaying evil for evil. Right. That's brother. That is supernatural living, mm-hmm. uh, because we're wired. Our own hearts are wired to um, want to retaliate and get um, revenge. Right. You mentioned as well being salt and light in uh, in the details of our of our life and and thinking about how um, how we're different than the world, how how we're called out from the world. Um, how do you how do you interpret that and apply that uh, in the book? Well, I think what we were just talking about, where the world emphasizes uh, retaliation, lawsuits, you know, there's a section in this chapter I call suing saints. If you were to drive down a highway in America, you would see the glut of attorney, of attorney advertisements on the billboards. Mm-hmm. And you would think if you were totally foreign to our culture— that the only way to survive is to have a good lawyer. To, yeah, take each other to court as much as possible. And so um, we, we talk about you know suing saints, which goes back to 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul rebukes the Corinthians. And he begins by saying, don't you realize you're going to rule the world? Don't, can't you find somebody in the body to help mediate this dispute? Mm-hmm. 
And um, for us to, to ask deeper questions, how would Christ be most honored in this situation? You close the chapter, chapter 10, with, um, with the story of William Borden. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a touching story. Tell, tell us a little about that. Well, uh, I'm thankful for Andy Alcorn, who just re- recapped uh, the personal experience of walking through that Egyptian cemetery where there's a tombstone to William Borden, who was an heir to the Borden uh, fortune. Mm. Um, I guess the dairy, they were in the dairy industry. And Alcorn wrote that Borden was a Yale graduate, heir to great wealth, and he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to to Muslims. And so refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away thousands of dollars to missions. And after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, uh, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. (laughs) And so on his grave marker... Uh, was this statement, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for this life. Mm. And we should live for that type of uh, message on our tombstone. Sure, that our life and perhaps even our death would point others to uh, otherwise inexplicable uh, faith that we have in in Christ. I think altar life calls us to to such a a commitment. Mm. Well, chapter 11 is when pain knocks upon my door, uh, that's a subject that's that's dear to me. Is how how do we relate to God through suffering? And so, um, uh, tell us tell us about weeping with those who weep. Right, Romans twelve fifteen. Uh, weep with those who weep. Uh, one of the strongest apologetics, I think, Jared, to the Christian faith is that we have a Savior who wept at the grave of a friend. Mm, yeah, the shortest uh, you know expression in the English Bible, Jesus wept, mm-hmm. um, is more than a trivia question. It really shows um, the heart of our Savior, and we could ask, and we do address this in the chapter, why did he weep? Well, it wasn't because he would never see Lazarus again. Right. He would see him in a matter of moments, Mm -hmm. as he would call him forth after being dead four days. Right. Um, So I think Jesus wept really is an expression of his grief over the effects of sin on humanity. From day one, the day you eat of the tree, you'll surely die, and we've been dying ever since. And so he delayed, and if you follow the narrative of uh, John 11, they sent for Jesus, Mary and Martha, and he delayed, and um, and then came later. And um, in this chapter, we read one of his I am statements in John. I'm the resurrection and the Mm -hmm. life. He who believes in me shall live even though he dies. You know, he sees Mary weeping and and Martha weeping, and the Jews weeping, and and he wept. And, you know, he's also working and ministering to Martha and Mary in this circumstance. They they both said to him, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the if-onlys of yep. life. You know, I have a friend, Jared, that I mentioned in, in chapter 11, who had a teenage daughter who went on an errand one night that proved to be totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And she was hit head on with a Mack truck oh. and, uh, and died. Mm. And, you know, these if onlys plague people. Sure. And, yeah. and um, just the whole issue of pain and that the gospel is not silent with regard to pain in this world. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, there are ways that God moves and ministers to us in our life through, uh, through the hardships and the difficulties and the sorrows that, uh, there's a fellowship that we have with him that we would not have otherwise. 
Um, you mentioned the Lewis quote in the problem of pain. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse mm-hmm. a deaf, a deaf world. And it's through those, we would never choose these things no. ever. And yet God, God chooses them and, and works in them in our, in our lives in ways that we would not experience otherwise. Right. And uh, all of our suffering uh, doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits mm-hmm. us. Yes. That is our hope. Um, I, I think probably one of my favorite statements of the Apostle Paul was in Philippians 3, verse 10, where he says, that I may know him and have fellowship with his sufferings, yeah. being conformed to his death. You know, just looking at this, um, how this emerges in Romans 12, mm-hmm. that part of being surrendered to God as a living sacrifice as I weep with those who weep. You talk in this section about supernatural living. I think that <laughs> oftentimes people have this misconception that a, a supernatural, uh, that, that word supernatural translates in our minds to, to a superhero. Right. And somehow we're immune to the, the, the sufferings of the world or, or that we have some, um, superhero badge, like a like a Marvel character, you make the argument that that's not really accurate. No, that's not the picture at all. Uh, what I see as supernatural living is when God's people show care and compassion as an expression of God's love, and the mm. difficulties, the vicissitudes of life. That that is that's supernatural living. Which you go on in the book to outline just through your years uh, in the pastorate, just going through seasons in the church that, that have been very difficult seasons for, for one reason or another. Um, one of them was, um, the death of Mildred Vessel, oh, yeah. our childcare yeah. uh, worker who I remember that very, very well. You know, Mildred Vessel, she served, uh, in our nursery for almost 20 years. One Wednesday night, she and her daughter Carla came and served here and then left. And, um, um, Mildred went home and Carla went to her church, and uh, they were both gunned down um, mm-hmm. by Carla's estranged husband. Right, uh, he killed um, his two-year-old son and some other church members in in, in another local church here in right. Gonzales. And mm-hmm. just being able to host that funeral, and still even to this day, have people remind me of that as we gathered here to weep with those who weep. And then Katrina, you know, Douglas Brinkley chronicled the aftermath of Katrina. The storm surge flooding submerged a half million homes, creating the largest domestic refugee crisis since the Civil War. Wow. 80% of New Orleans was underwater. Debris and sewage coursed through the streets. And here we are, one of the first major exits out of New Orleans to the west on I-10. Mm-hmm. And um, we just saw Ascension Parish swell in population. and Just overnight. Overnight. Yeah. And, um, and in the coming days, we had partners around the world who, um, supported us and FPCG became a clearinghouse. I think we had over 500 people four or 500 people who came here personally for resources and to be able to have them. And I remember, uh, Jared, um, you know, a man from St. Bernard Parish, uh, who came to me early. I mean, like days Mm -hmm. after the storm, he was from St. Bernard and um, he came with his wife. He was probably in his 60s, and he had his son who, and his wife and their small children. And um, he said to me with quivering cheek, my wife told me to put an axe in the attic before the storm. Wow. And if I hadn't listened to her, we would have drowned in our home. And so That's he incredible. chopped a hole in, the, in his roof. 
and was rescued from the rooftop. And, um, you know, just many, many people who came, uh, who I remember one lady who was so mad at God because she had lost her business and everything. Oh yeah. Mm. And to be able to set that in the framework of the gospel, that there's hope in Jesus Christ, that we have a God who's entered this world and suffered mm. and rose again triumphantly. I mean, that is our story and that yeah. is our song. I mean, yeah. and weeping with those who weep really provides us opportunities for the gospel that just as we were mentioning earlier, that God ministers to us and our suffering in ways we otherwise wouldn't experience. It's a similar type of relationship with others who are suffering when we when we come alongside them and 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 join them in their sorrow. I will commiserate. I will sit with you. But we have an answer that we want to give. Chapter twelve has a kind of powerful name. Got an enemy. Right. Yeah. Got milk. You yeah, know. Who doesn't? <laughs> right. Got 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 an enemy. And you know, here again, Romans twelve drives the conversation. Verse fourteen: Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Mm-hmm. And that sounds an awful lot like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where we're called to love our enemies and do good to them. Uh, in fact, in Romans twelve twenty, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, and by doing so, you're heaping burning coals on his head. There's different kinds of suffering. There's suffering from natural disasters. There's suffering mm. from brutal crimes. There's suffering from uh, just you know living in a world where we die yeah. and mourn. But this is a, a different kind of pain, I think, uh, where you're actually receiving a, a pain from someone who wants to take you out. Yeah, and, um, it's fallen man instead of fallen world. There's a right. Yeah, and Paul speaks to both, mm-hmm. and so I, I was reminded of Spurgeon, who had a few enemies. <laughs> right. um, get a friend to tell you your faults, or better still, welcome an enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be <laughs> to a wise man. What an intolerable nuisance to a fool. And mm. we hear that and, you know, we think, is Spurgeon advocating, you know, being a masochist where we love pain? Why would I want to lob my enemies uh, softballs? Softball, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think he's talking about lobbing softballs. I think he's talking about the constructive nature of enemies. And Paul knew that he had a thorn in his flesh and second Corinthians 12 that provided tremendous agony. Um, mm. I think the genius of Paul mentioning is, is that he didn't tell us what it was. Right. I don't think it was his mother-in-law. Right. <laughs> Much speculation, <laughs> well, but yeah, it could be his health. I, I think the probably in context, the best answer is a, a demonized um, force in the Corinthian church who came behind him and ripped the road up behind his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was constantly having to vie for the allegiance of the Corinthians. They said of him, I think it's chapter 10, verse 10 of second Corinthians, uh, he's ugly and he can't preach, right. you know? So I don't care how spiritual you are. That's that, personal. Yeah. That, that hurts. And so he, Paul knew the agony of ministry. Uh, nevertheless, he instructed the church and demonstrated in his own life uh, the importance of loving and praying for our enemies, learning and receiving from them, blessing and ministering to them. And nowhere is that more apparent than when he, the, his response to the Philippian jailer. In Philippi, Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and then thrown in prison, which was illegal for a Roman citizen to be treated that way. Mm-hmm. And so they're in prison, in that stinking prison, uh, chained. Mm-hmm. They're singing hymns about midnight. Right. 
So do you think Paul has good memories of Philippi? <laughs> At that, I don't think so. Yeah. So the earthquake comes, the doors are open, the Philippian jailer, knowing that his punishment would be death if anybody escaped, takes a sword and gets ready to end his life. Yeah. What does Paul do there? Well, a lesser man would say, knock yourself out. I'll help you with that. Yeah. You know, um, but that's not what Paul said. Right. He said, you know, hold on, we're all here. I mean, what a, what a statement of mercy that is on so many levels. Sure, yeah. And so Paul's not ta- saying one thing, teaching one thing, and then doing another. And so he ministers to this jailer, the gospel shared to his whole family. And I imagine as Paul and Silas are sitting there in the prison, and the jailer says to, to, to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I, I really picture Paul and Silas looking at one another, <laughs> smiling, and then in unison saying, believe on the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ yeah. and you shall be saved. Um. And so what a, what a clinic on how to love your enemies. I think one of the, probably the most uh, immediately applicable parts of the book is chapter 13, yeah. Altered Living in a Cancel Culture. Right. And of course, we're, we're in a position right now, you know, here we sit doing a podcast and they're in the news right now in a big way because, uh, you know, there's all this outcry about a particular spot, Spotify podcast and we're looking at cancel culture yeah. where if we disagree with you, then we shut you down completely. How do you deal with that in the book? Um, how are Christians supposed to engage yeah. in that type of a environment? Okay, so we live in a time where you don't hold the line, you're canceled. Mm-hmm. And Romans 12, 21, Paul closes the chapter. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So early in the Christian life, um, you know, just... Uh, thinking about the impact of Christ, and um, it's so easy to be driven by the the messages and the images of the culture that we forget the call and the simplicity of not being overcome by evil. Mm-hmm. So altar life calls us to emit the aroma of Christ as we live in a hostile world. Um, and just thinking about that, Jared, the need to be circumspect and courageous in in a cancel culture. Albert Moeller was right when he said that the issues of the day, there will be no place to hide. So mm-hmm. th- there really is a call right now for believers to say, where do I stand? Yeah. And with the impeccable memory of the internet, right. nobody gets a pass. I I appreciated John Stone Street and really promote his podcast to Breakpoint. It's a five-minute deal mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis. He recommends that believers build a theology of getting fired. Yeah. You know, far from being reckless, what he's talking about sure. is, where's the line for you? Right. Where's the line? You're going to need to know where the line is mm-hmm. as a follower of Christ. And then I, I also pulled heavily from Rod Dreyer, uh, Dreyer uh, who wrote Live Not By Lies. And uh, and he pulls that from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a, a Russian thinker and was put in intellectual and was put in a gulag because of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of his uh, beliefs. And he wrote an essay by that same title. Um, and so Solzhenitsyn um, immigrated to the United States in the 1974 mm-hmm. and really called for, we're people of the truth. We're not going to live by lies. We're not going to parrot the lies of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Christians, even in this book of Romans, Paul said in chapter three, God is true and every man a liar. Right. And so 
what does that mean in a cancel culture? Well, the world may be saying there is no God. We will say, no, God is true and living and sovereign, and to him we owe everything. Mm -hmm. Issues of life, uh, whether it be abortion or um, euthanasia, euthanasia. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, he's the author of life. We are created in his image. Human life is sacred. Uh, whether it has to do with racism, which is a huge conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, we're all from one blood. Adam's helpless race. Yeah. Um, sexual sin, whether it be, uh, fornication or adultery or homosexuality or any other deviant from that is out of God's order. Mm -hmm. Uh, endless genders. You know, God created us male and female as as humanity, and that he defined marriage between one man and one woman. The exclusivity of Christ, there are not many ways to him. There's one way, per Jesus. Sorry, Oprah. But yeah, we mentioned her, and for all the good things and benevolent things she, she does, with regard to... Um, there are many ways to what you call God is hogwash. Yeah. I mean, in light, if you if you take um, scripture at face value uh, and read Jesus, you, you can never believe that. Mm -hmm. And so, I think we're not going to live by lies. We're going to speak the truth in our generation, and uh, to do that with love and conviction. Right. What about a people of hope in the Lord? Yeah. And so, you know, I think um, God is our refuge and an ever present help in a time of trouble. And I, I close uh, the chapter with this episode in Second Chronicles 32 uh, with um, Hezekiah, and that is uh, when the Rabshakeh, mm -hmm. uh, the Assyrian army official, comes to Hezekiah and, and offers threats. Just a, a classic case of, of, of them seeking the Lord and God providing what they need. Mm -hmm. um, you know, reading the Bible, we look at the end, and I don't mean this to be trite or cliche, but uh, we win in him. Yeah, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and he is our hope. And so we're not to be overcome with evil, but we're to overcome evil with love and good deeds and the gospel message. Mm -hmm. That is to be our testimony. And uh, I, I think that's supernatural living in a world that is hostile to God in his ways. Well, it's been a, a wonderful walk through the, the third part of the uh, the book, and we're so grateful to to have it online and available at at Amazon and, and other places. And we would appreciate the feedback too. If you're, mm. you're so led, uh, um, Amazon review goes a long way in promoting the message of the book. And so, um, would appreciate any feedback that you have. Yeah, and so uh, we encourage you to get a copy and uh, follow along with us. And we look forward to visiting with you one more time. Life on the Altar is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in both paperback and digital versions please consider leaving a five-star review on Amazon. That would help us out uh, a lot. And also share with others by word of mouth and social media if you found the book to be a good resource. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. To find out more information about our church and our ministry or for more episodes, be sure and visit our website, fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, positive review really helps out a lot. Thanks for taking the time to do that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting or helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member would be a wonderful thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.